Okay, everyone, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletechhelp.com. That's reliabletechhelp.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business, science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and others. Please interact with us online. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and or share our content. We would love to hear from you. Today, our guest is Joe Cohen. Welcome. Thank you, Dave. Joe, tell us more about your law firm and what you do. Yeah, first of all, thanks for having us on. We always appreciate the opportunity to talk about what we do. Um, a lot of people seem to be interested uh, in immigration. Uh, we do exclusively immigration work uh, in our law firm. Uh, the office is located in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we do do a national uh, practice because we work within the federal law. So we, we work uh, wherever we need to work. Uh, primarily, we're centered in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I, I have my Louisville roots, grew up there, went to J-Town High School, graduated from University of Louisville, both undergrad and law. Uh, so I have a lot of connections to Louisville, uh, remember it fondly. My career has taken me to a number of different cities. And, and uh, in 2016, I found myself in San Antonio and said, what am I going to do? And the, the uh, immigration issue was heating up between Hillary and, and Trump. And, and so uh, I said, that seems to be where the, where the bullets are flying. So we started up the immigration law firm and here, here we are. Uh, but I do want to make a, a special note here. My very first client came from Louisville. Uh, I was sitting in a restaurant talking to a friend of mine who knew the owner of the restaurant. And when, they, when the owner heard that I were working in immigration, um, he went back to his kitchen staff. And my very first paid immigration case came from sitting in a restaurant talking about immigration in Louisville, Kentucky. So uh, interesting connection there. Uh, but we do do immigration law. It's a very complex area of the law. Um, and it, it, there's a lot of different facets to it. Uh, we tend to do family immigration and, and removal work. A removal work is the current terminology for deportation for a lot of people who, who talk about deportation. In the law world, we now talk about removal, but mm. deportation is still referred to a lot. Um, and so though removal work, deportation is obviously when the government is trying to remove somebody and we appear before immigration judges and we try to defend people to keep them in the country. Uh, the other side of our business has to do with naturalization, green cards, visas, that type of thing. Um, and, and basically that's when, um, for immigration, that's when somebody wants to come to this country or stay in this country. And we have to find a way to keep them here. Oftentimes, we're able to secure a green card or lawful permanent residence for that person. Other times, we get a visa. Um, then and certainly uh, after someone is here, the lawful permanent resident or a green card holder for a sufficient period of time, then they can become a citizen, which is certainly the ultimate goal. Because uh, once once someone gets citizenship, immigration law no longer applies to them. They don't have to worry about the immigration police anymore, ICE, uh, because they're now a citizen. Uh, so so that's a very broad uh, thumbnail sketch of uh, the immigration world that we live in. Perfect. A couple of uh, side notes. Um, I call Joe my uncle affectionately. He's technically a second cousin, I think. Um, but you are one of the most impressive people I've ever known. Your education background, your work background, and uh, 
uh, international travel and work for the federal and state governments that you've done. Obviously, your work in law is just very impressive. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, second, uh, you're welcome. Thank yourself. You earned it. <laughs> Um, second thing is you mentioned, um, you know, immigration law, that, that, can, that can be a very sensitive and touchy issue, especially politically, right? It's a very political issue. And, and oftentimes our clients come in the office and, you know, whether they, you know, whoever they support, they want to talk about it. Uh, and, you know, we have to be very careful um, yeah, because, you know, we're here, we're here to help people, whatever their problems are, they come into the office with, we're here to help them in an immigration world. Uh, and people really want to draw us into those types of discussions. And, you know, it just doesn't matter where we are. We're, we're here to help the person who's sitting in front of us. Yeah, there's not a Democrat Party immigration law and a Republican Party immigration law. It's just the law, and you're going to use the law to help folks. It's federal law. That's correct. For, the, for 99% of it. Yeah, and I would think in San Antonio, Texas, you have no shortage of customers, right? Uh, we're very busy. Uh, we are, yeah, we are incredibly busy right now. Perfect. Well, um, you mentioned, I, I want to mention one thing too. The immigration issue is, is so sensitive and I won't get into the politics of it, but I did, I did, I did want to make this known. I really have a lot of compassion for those people trying to get into this country. There's a reason why millions and millions of people try to get in this country every year. There's so much opportunity here and I don't blame those folks for trying to do it. Even if it was illegal, I sympathize with them. On the other hand, we do have a country that we have to, you know, vet who comes in and we have to have a legal process. And that's where you and your team come in, right? Yeah, that's correct. We, we struggle between people who want a borderless country and the people who want no immigration at all. Um, and the immigration law fits somewhere in between. And these are human beings, right? They often have families and they're just looking for an opportunity. I think it's great that you and your team are able to help those people utilize the law to do it legally, correctly? Correct? Yeah. Yeah, you know, we, you know, we, we, and we will occasionally have clients who come in here and ask us to, well, how, you know, I can't do it legally, so how do I do it illegally? You know, we obviously have to tell them we, we're not in that business. Um, but yeah, this is a human, this is a human issue here. This is not, you know, other lawyers, and it's great. I did insurance law for years, and I've done a lot of other kind of law, and, and it's all great law, and I'm not, absolutely not demeaning anybody. But in immigration law, we are talking about human beings. And, and how they're going to live the rest of their life. And, you know, if human beings get sent back to certain countries, it's a death sentence for them. Right. Uh, and so, you know, we, we take our work very serious. Or a life sentence of poverty and crime, right? right. Yeah. Well, that's a great introduction to your, your law firm. You have a couple of your team members here today that you'd like to um, go, go further into detail about what they do in your practice. And first up is Carlos. Carlos, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, David. Excited to be here. Ready to get started. Yes. Introduce yourself. Tell us about yourself and we'll dive deeper into um, your, your contribution to the practice there. Sure thing. My name is Carlos Hugo Castaneda Gonzalez, but for the purposes of this podcast, just call me Carlos. Okay. <laughs> Make things easy on yourself. Um, I've been working with Joe for a few years now, and I'm a board certified specialist in immigration law uh, in the state of Texas. And in the law firm that we have, all of us do a big range of things, but these days I'm focusing more on the removal side. And by removal, I mean deportation defense. In general, you can explain immigration law or immigration practice, I should say, in three different areas, employment-based, family-based, and removal. 
employment base? Do you have someone who want to come over for temporary work, you know, a typical work visa? Or maybe you want someone to come permanently to the United States based on their abilities in general or their ability to fulfill a certain role in a very important profession. So immigration based on employment. Family-based, name says it all. If you have a relative who is eligible to petition for you, then you come over that way, maybe bring over a spouse and your minor children. Removal, that's everything having to do with people who are detained or people who are in immigration court proceedings. And by immigration court proceedings, I mean, you go before a judge to hear your case, you defend your client um, before the judge and with an opposing attorney belonging to the agency called ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and you have your full trial in that way. What we call that is removal proceedings. Anything having to do with the immigration court is removal proceedings, though I should specify not to go too much in the nuance. Removal proceedings can also include matters outside the immigration court, but let's not go into that detail just yet. Perfect. Give us some of your background. How'd you get into law in general and this specific part of law? Uh, I joke that the way that I got into law is because my mom, my Mexican mom, hated the idea of me as a political science major. Okay. <laughs> so my first year of undergrad, she signed a flyer for a pre-law summer class, and I was a bit ambivalent, but I took it, got really interested in law, went to law school, and I have not looked back since. Excellent. Now, I'm assuming you mentioned your Mexican mother, so your heritage is a uh, yes his well, Hispanic my- from Mexico? Indeed, but my parents are Mexicans. I'm actually a dual national myself. And for that reason, even before I decided to practice immigration law full time, I always had that interest in the um, in the policies and aspect and the people, of course. And so here I am doing all that. Yeah. And I would think it um, has special significance to you to help folks that you can identify with. I mean, these are people just like your parents and yourself just trying to come here for an opportunity, right? Well, let me tell you. In immigration law, you will find that immigrants are as varied as humanity itself. You get a lot of people, people with uh, good education here for something uh, lawful, other people who are here because they are in danger and don't have the ability to wait on a visa if they can even be eligible for it. You have individuals who you enjoy helping, working with, you think this person is going to go places. You have individuals who you can say the opposite of. But your responsibility as a lawyer is, one, to be truthful with people, two, to adhere to the law and tell people what the law is. Because many times I will have to have a conversation with someone who may be detained, who may be here in this country because they are desperate. And I have to explain, I got to tell you, right now, the law does not support your claim. And there may not be something that we're going to be able to do to you because of this reason and that reason. Maybe we can do this, but the chances of success are very low just because the facts are what they are or the law is what it is. And in my experience, at least, David, people really do appreciate that forthcomingness because they don't want to be yanked around. They hear horror stories about the attorneys or so-called notarios taking advantage of people. And I like being straight with them about what their chances are. And because me as an attorney, I've worked very hard to get to the point in my career in which I can say, you know what, this is a case that I really want to do and I'm going to do the best job I can. And this is a case that I really can't do much and I don't want to string this person along or I'm going to decline the case. Again, that's where I'm at here. What are some misconceptions people have about immigration law? <laughs> okay, do you guys want to start? We could be we could be here for a while. What's the, what's the top two or three that you run into that you have to kind of push back against? 
Uh, I don't really watch Fox News, so I can't say what the top two or three <laughs> in general is. Sorry for that small diss there, uh, Jose. We shouldn't get into politics. Yeah. But let me just choose like low-lying food here. The so-called anchor baby. Man, I think at one time a few years ago, someone started talking about terror babies. Was that Governor Jan Brewster from Arizona, former governor of Arizona who did that SB 1070? Sorry, yeah. really going into too many details here. So this so-called myth. Like most legends, urban and otherwise, they always start with a kernel of truth. Mm -hmm. There's a relief that is only for people that are in deportation proceedings. So they have their immigration court case are filing to defend against a removal order. That relief is called cancellation of removal. And there's two kinds. One is for people with a green card and who meet certain conditions. The other is for people who do not have a green card. Mm -hmm. and who also meet certain conditions. What are those conditions? Well, one of them is that you have to have been physically present in the country for 10 years, 10 entire years, without any long departures and without any deportations. Second is that you don't have certain crimes on your record. Third one is that you have a parent, a spouse, or a child under 21 years of age who is a U.S. citizen or a green card holder. So. If someone has a U.S. citizen child, that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to stay here. No. If they have their child and they've been here for 10 years and the child is still under the age of 21, maybe they have a case. Most situations, it will not be a winnable case, honestly. And yet that is where the whole anchor baby myth comes from, which is a bit annoying because I've never heard of an anchor parent, even though that same factual pattern mm -hmm. could allow you to at least fight a case. Not win it, but fight it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because just kind of on the periphery, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know much about immigration, but that's the term you hear all the time is the anchor baby, right? The mm -hmm. they, they, they want us to think the stereotypical mother comes here, it, either pregnant or gets pregnant, has a child on U.S. soil, and then we're stuck. Um, they tell us paying their welfare and so, uh, social services and human services for the family and the child uh, for the rest of their lives. And it's just not true in your experience, right? That's correct. Cool. Give us one other misconception that you find yourself uh, dealing with. Well, let's see here. Hmm. I think one that is particularly relevant is one having to do with how easy it is to come to the United States uh, illegally. I heard a lot during the Trump administration, especially about so-called ending catch and release. Now, let me tell you where the catch and release term comes from. During the George W. Bush administration, we heard the exact same thing. We're going to end catch and release. Now, what was meant by that back in the early 2000s is, okay, when someone comes here, we're not just going to give them a notice to appear, which is the immigration equivalent of an indictment. We can talk about that more in a second. And then hope they show up to a check-in date or to a court date. What the Bush administration did was expand the immigration detention center network in order to handle people coming in, detain them, evaluate if they are able to pay a bond or if they are um, trustworthy enough to be able to show up to their court case, maybe by paying a bond, which by federal law is a minimum of $1,500. So that was what catch and release meant in the early 2000s. And that indeed has ended. It's, it's, it's not just easy peasy coming in. What did it mean during the Trump administration? How was it used? Basically, they were trying to do the same idea, but they were calling release something that did not result in deportation. Now, I have 
represented both before the Trump administration, during and afterwards, many people who have come to the United States maybe have to establish their eligibility for a bond, have to fight for a bond with an immigration judge who usually does not set it at $1,500. Back in the day, I've heard from people who have been practicing longer than I have that, oh yeah, getting a, a low-level bond of $1,500 was, uh, was like pretty easy or at least pretty common in certain areas. Um, rarely, most of the bonds I've gotten when you do get a bond issued have been significantly upwards of $1,500. Uh, $5,000, $7,000, $9,000 is not uncommon at all. And this is not for someone that has like a significant criminal record or anything like that. So back to the so-called catcher and leaf, that term really bugged me because I knew what it meant to struggle to release someone. And I found that terminology very annoying. Now, going back to the important matter of when people come into the United States, one aspect that people don't really understand when they think about all these asylum seekers is what is the process for entering the country? What is the initial screening process? And I don't want to take up too much time on this matter, but I think it's one worth discussing. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's interesting when you were talking about that. I, I, I was thinking of the origin of that term. Didn't it come out of fishing, like catch and release? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting <laughs> yeah it, it comes it's interesting how people will um political opportunists will use certain words that resonate with people and entirely different and sometimes unrelated contexts right <laughs> Th thank you for sharing those two things with us uh, those are things i hadn't thought about but um it's interesting how we have to push back every day against misconceptions and uh mischaracterizations right indeed indeed one other thing for you, Carlos, what's a typical day look like for Carlos? Are you in and out of um, detention centers? Are you in court? Are you what, what are you doing? What's a typical day for Carlos? That's a fun question to answer, because over the years, my the typical day, so to say, has changed. About a few years ago, when I was at a different law firm, I would on average go to a detention center once a week, you know, average, sometimes more, maybe sometimes not that week. After COVID, what I've done and what a lot of attorneys have done is not go in person to detention centers, but appear via televideo or maybe via phone with a client. It's faster. It's easier. In, in our case, at least, we certainly charge less to a client than when we have to go in person. And it's the practice to an extent has changed. Let me tell you about yesterday. I can't say there's one typical day, but, you know. I took some phone calls with uh, clients who were interested in hiring. Maybe I think yesterday I spoke with one family member of a recently detained person. And I was trying to get more information about that detained person. See, okay, what kind of case may we be dealing with here? And okay, sir, well, for this individual, what we can do is this and that, but I won't know for sure until I actually speak with them, that kind of thing, orient people. Also checking in on pending cases that we've been working on. So for example, if we're working on a, a green card case that we're going to want to get out in the next couple months, I might follow up with someone that maybe I last spoke to two weeks back and they haven't filled out the questionnaire. I sent them to help me finalize the application forms that are going to be submitted to the agency that is focused on the benefits side of immigration called USCIS or United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. The way sometimes I explain to clients is that USCIS is kind of like the good twin to ISIS bad twin. 
ICE focuses on detention and deportation, essentially border patrol, but not at the border. And ICE, by the way, as I mentioned before, a subcomponent of them are the prosecutors of the immigration world who I will see in court and debate against while I'm before an immigration judge at a bond hearing or at a removal hearing. Perfect. Let me ask you a question. I'm assuming this is ju just not a job or a career for you. This matters to you, right? And it's yes, it's, it's significant. And you don't get into some, doing something like this unless you care about people, right? Indeed. And let me mention what keeps me going personally is focusing on either areas of law that I find particularly interesting. So like the intellectual part, I'm like, okay, I'm engaged here. I wanna, I wanna figure this out, take it apart and explain it to someone else, maybe in a brief to a judge. The other aspect, even more important, is focusing on those individual clients who you really like, you really like working with, and you think, yeah, I made a difference here. Nice. Two things for you before we wrap up your segment. The first one is, what a, if you met someone in an elevator and you told them what you did, what's your appeal to that person to say, look, how do we treat these people trying to come into our country? How do you convince somebody who's skeptical and says, oh, all these immigrants are just here to leech off of welfare or they're criminals or what's your, what's your appeal to those people? Well, first of all, let me say in most occasions in which I've introduced myself as an immigration lawyer, I've had a positive response. I'm saying, oh, God bless you. Oh, that's, that's very nice. Good. So in terms of people and self, I would say most of them are good. Let's say I get someone in an elevator, as you say, who is skeptical, says like, ah, I don't like paying more taxes here. Honestly, the, the more realistic approach would be just stay quiet, wait to the elevator. I don't need to get into an argument. I argue for a living. I, yeah. And I'm going to be convincing this person. However, what I would say to some such person is this. I get your frustration and I get what you're seeing in the news. And I get that you're not seeing the good parts and the good people out there. Just know that I do see that. And these individuals are worth fighting for. And that's what I do for a living. Perfect. Well said. Last question. We're still in the elevator. What's your elevator pitch to somebody who might need your services? How can they get a hold of you and what can you do for them? Let's say it in Spanish. I'd say, Licenciado Castañeda, un placer. Deme darle mi tarjeta. Si tiene alguna pregunta, llévenme acá. Con todo gusto le ayudaría. So if I say I'm an immigration lawyer, I will give someone my card, say, but I'd be happy to speak with you more about that. Maybe I'll ask them for a few bits of information ever so briefly while the elevator is still going up or down. Uh, just to get an idea of what it is I might be dealing with, because it may be a case in which I can't help them. Or maybe someone, because of certain reasons, is now ineligible for anything. Just, just yesterday or day before, I was speaking with the wife of a man currently um, incarcerated, actually, who, well, they tried to do the right thing. They hired a law firm in, to do a petition and to get him a green card the right way. And then at the consulate in Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua, Mexico, he was denied. Why? See, I don't know what happened there, but the law firm either did not understand or they took advantage of the family. But one thing that I knew from the get-go, and I suspected it just with the write-up that I got before I spoke to them, is that this guy has a prior deportation order. 
And indeed he did. And that makes him eligible for that because he later entered illegally. This is basic screen information. They should never have gone through this whole process. And after they did, after now he tried entering illegally, deported again, then tried entering through a port of entry, regrettably trying to sneak himself in with um, a passport that didn't belong to him. And now he's incarcerated. He's going to get out soon, minor offense, but he's not going to be able to get a green card ever. And unfortunately, much of this could have been avoided. He still would remain undocumented unless an immigration reform, a comprehensive immigration reform is done. But those situations do happen. And in those situations, as lawyers say, hey, I can't do this for you because of X, Y, and Z, but I do wish to beg and I owe you the honesty and forthrightness to explain why this is. Wow. Well said, Carlos. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for your time. We're going to... Sh- Thank you. We're going to shift gears to Adriana here. Welcome, Adriana. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Tell us about yourself. Introduce yourself and give us a bit of your background and uh, what you do at the uh, the law firm there. Sure. So um, I grew up here in San Antonio. Um, both of my parents are immigrants. My father is from India and my mother was from Mexico. So immigration, I was big part of my life growing up. I'm also married to an immigrant as well and had to go through the whole green card process myself. So uh, um, while I was in law school, Um, but anyway, I ended up getting my undergraduate degree in history and I didn't want to go forward getting a doctorate. um, Although I did think about it, but I decided then to go ahead and uh, pursue law. And that's when I went to law school. And um, when I uh, got out and got licensed, I actually practiced personal injury law Uh, first. And then uh, I had always been interested in immigration. And after four years of practicing personal injury, I had an opportunity to work at a local nonprofit uh, that helped um, a lot of immigrants. And uh, I was pretty much in the detention centers, three local detention centers here in San Antonio um, on a weekly basis doing a Know Your Rights uh, presentation uh, to the people that were detained in the detention center. So um, it was a really interesting, we got to help a lot of people. Um, unfortunately, because it's a nonprofit, uh, you're, you know, the funding is based on grants. And so the grants have limitations on exactly what you can do for people. So while I wanted to do more, uh, or my, you know, my hands were tied and I could only do so much. And then later on, I got an opportunity to to work with Joe. And so now I can have more of a hands-on approach. Um, and I really, I really enjoy that. Um, and so uh, what I do at, at our firm is I focus more on uh, the family-based cases. So, and, and visas and uh, naturalization or, or citizenship. So that's kind of my area, even though I also do consultations for removal cases and kind of help out, uh, you know, in all the other areas. But that's kind of what my focus is right now. Perfect. And just like Carlos, your family immigrated here and you're married to an immigrant. So this is obviously a personal issue to you. Yes, it most certainly is. Great. Tell us more about family integration. What's involved with that? Um I hadn't heard of that term before. So um, can you expand on that and explain a little bit to us about that? Sure. So with family immigration, so this is the area of immigration law where if you have a certain uh, relative, if you're a certain relative of a U.S. citizen or a legal permanent resident, you can apply to also get your green card. And so it's based on specific family relationships. 
So if you're a, um, a U.S. citizen, you can apply for even more people in your family, not just your spouse or your children, but you can also apply for your parents and you can also apply for your siblings. Um, now, certain uh, relatives are going to be prioritized over others. And what I mean by that is that if you're a, a spouse, if you're a minor child under 21 years uh, old and unmarried, or if you're a parent of a U.S. citizen, you get you get you get to skip the line, kind of. You're called an immediate relative, and that means that there's a visa is going to be available for you uh, right after that family petition is approved uh, with USCIS. Mm. So basically, your your case is going to be a little bit fast tracked if, if you want to say that. Um, now, if you're if you don't fall into that category. So if you're a spouse or a child of a, of a green card holder, a legal permanent resident, then you've got to, got to wait in, in what they call wait in line. Um, um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard that, oh, I'm, I've been waiting so many years uh, to get my green card. And that's what's going on. And so when they say wait for your number or wait in line, there's actually a chart that comes out every month. It's put out by the Department of State and it's called a visa bulletin. And that chart basically shows you when your number is being called or you know how long you have to wait. Um, so people have to log on to that uh, website you know, every month to kind of track, track their case and wait. And some of these people are waiting a really, really long time. I mean, it's almost a little uh, ridiculous. Uh, if, if you look at it, um, if you're a, uh, adult child of a, U, of a U.S. citizen, but you're from Mexico, you could be waiting. If we look at the visa bulletin today, June 2023, you could be waiting uh, 22 years, which, I mean, that's that's very long. And I think that's why some people get tired of waiting. And unfortunately, they get into a desperate situation and, and they want to be reunited with their family because the, the whole point of the family-based immigration is, is to reunite families. And so when you have to wait such a long time, that's when you have people maybe coming in, um, you know, without inspection and not waiting uh, to, to come in legally because these lines are so long, unfortunately, in, in, in these categories. And especially if you come from certain countries, like I'd mentioned, Mexico, India, China, and the Philippines, they kind of have their own lines and, and citizens from those countries have to wait a lot longer than the rest, than the rest of the world. Yeah, a um, couple of questions for you. When you mention and you kind of get ahead of, or uh, get, get skip other people on the line if you have a direct uh, descendant here that's a U.S. citizen. In that process, is that descendant vouching for you? Is could they get in tr trouble if they vouch for you and you come here, you know, and commit a crime or do something like that? What's that look like? Well, when we say vouch for you, you have to prove that relationship. So if you're a spouse, a minor child, or a parent of a, a U.S. citizen, part of the documentation that you're going to present in your case is going to be a marriage certificate if you're married, a birth certificate for a parent or a child. So you have to prove that, that relationship at first. Okay. And, and in terms of being responsible for somebody, another part of that application process is something called an affidavit of support. And that's basically a contract with the government but made by the U.S. citizen or who has who's generally the sponsor. I mean, you can get a joint sponsor if you don't qualify, but I don't want to get too much into that. But so that, that U.S. citizen is saying I'm responsible for my relative until basically they become a citizen. So uh, financially responsible for them with the affidavit of support. 
could that person be criminally or you know civilly liable if they don't it support that person or could be maybe uh, uh some uh civilly liable like let's say they go to the medical bills you know uh if they don't pay that those providers can go after that U.S. citizen. Uh, does it happen all the time? I, we don't really see it, but it can happen. They do have that right. Okay. Another question for you. To find a few terms you used, you mentioned green card and visa. Can you define what those actually are and what they mean? Okay. So a green card, uh, the actual term is called a legal permanent resident card. And so when you're a permanent resident, that means that you've you've immigrated, you're living here permanently in the United States, and you've been petitioned, like I said, by another relative. So either a U.S. citizen or another legal permanent resident has petitioned you to immigrate here and live here permanently. Now, with a visa, there's different types of visas. Um, mostly when people think of visa, they think of like a tourist visa, right? Let's say. So if you have a tourist visa, you're coming here temporarily. So that's called a non-immigrant visa. You know, you're not planning to stay here permanently. You're planning to come visit family, you know, be a tourist. Uh, even sometimes people come for a medical procedure. That's possible. But then you're going to leave. You know, okay. you're here for a limited amount of time and then you're, you're going to go. So those those are kind of the differences between having a green card or being a legal permanent resident. You're you're living here. This is, your, you know, your permanent home. And then having like a tourist visa, you're coming in and going out. OK, so kind of difference visitor. Kind of difference between the two. Green, green card is more oriented towards trying to stay here and the visa is more of a temporary visit, so to speak. Generally, yes. If, if it's a yeah tourist visa, yes. Okay. Do you guys work in asylum at all, like political asylum? People are trying to escape, you know, political persecution or anything like that? Yes, we do take asylum cases. And with asylum, um, there's different. There's two different ways you can apply for asylum, what we call affirmative asylum, which is where you would apply with that agency, uh, USCIS. And then there's a, a, a defensive asylum, and that's where you're applying in immigration court and you have an immigration judge who's going to, you know, decide the case. And so we do have a lot of asylum cases. Uh, they are, you know, the cases where you really, really feel for these clients because they've gone through such horrible atrocities in, in their home countries. And that's why they're coming and they're claiming asylum because they have a fear of, of persecution, a fear of persecution in their home country that they've already suffered persecution or they will suffer persecution if they were to be returned to their country. And uh, there's other, you know, things that you have to prove the motive of that persecution has to fall into five categories. Um, and so these cases are very hard to win. I know a lot, a lot of people think people are just coming here and everybody's asking for asylum and it's and it's being granted. And that's not the case. There's actually a very high denial rate of asylum cases, um, fortunately. And so they are very hard to win because you have to corroborate what you're saying. You can't just come in and say, I'm afraid and that's it. And, and they just give you asylum. You have to prove it with documentation, with evidence um, of that persecution from your country. So witness statements, uh, evidence if you've been injured, you know, uh, doctors, medical records. Uh, sometimes you hire a, a professional um, expert in that area from your country uh, speaking to whatever persecution you experienced um, and you have them testify on, on your behalf. So and it's a very it's a very very lengthy process. It's not something that's granted overnight, 
But if you if you do win your case, then yes, you do get to apply uh, for a green card after one year of, of winning your asylum case. Great. That's a good uh, example of a misconception, I'm sure. Uh, you you encounter in your work. What's another example of a misconception you encountered you have to kind of push back on? I guess another misconception is that once you get your green card, because it's called a you know, legal permanent resident card, that it's permanent, which it is in a way, but you do have to renew it every 10 years. Um, And so when you go into renew, it's important uh, if you've been arrested or have any type of conviction that you talk to an immigration attorney, because when you renew every year, the government or immigration is going to run a background check on you again. Uh, so they're they're screening for these things to see if you, you if you have been con- convicted, some convictions can lead to make you deportable, you know, where you would be removed from the country. So it's very important that every time you go to renew your green card that you do, if you have been arrested for anything, I would always go and talk to an immigration attorney just to have peace of mind that when I renew my green card, everything's going to be okay. And I'm not going to, you know, be put into uh, removal proceedings and, and potentially be deported. Um, so that's one um, misconception. Um, an- another thing, when you do marry a, a U.S. citizen and you get your green card that way, uh, you get something called a, a, um, a conditional green card if your marriage is less than two years old when you get your green card. And so when you get that conditional green card, it's only valid for those two years, and you pretty much have to file another petition to 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 make it permanent. And you've got to file some more paperwork just to show that you have a, a real marriage that's based on, you know, love, uh, not based on getting an immigration benefit. They uh, immigration calls it a bona fide marriage. Um, and so that's their way to screen for marriage fraud. Uh, and so they make couples that the relationship or the marriage is less than two years old, kind of go through the same process again, file more paperwork to show that their marriage is valid um, in order to to take away those conditions and get that permanent green card that then they would renew every 10 years. Great. Um, What's a typical day in the office for you? What, What does that look like? A typical day is I'll do a lot of uh, screenings or consultations for potential clients. And with family-based cases, a lot of times people are coming to me really before they're even ready to move forward with the case. Like they're saying, hey, I'm I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of getting engaged or we're thinking of getting married and we want to plan and, you know, we want to do things the right way. So what should we do? So it's uh, for me, a lot of times I'll talk to someone maybe a year before, uh, you know, they're even ready to hire an attorney, but that's good because they're doing things the right way by coming and getting advice so that they can plan and do things correctly because there are a lot of ways to do things legally and there are a lot of options out there and you're not going to know until you speak to to an immigration attorney, you know, to find out all your options. So yes, so I'll do uh, some consultations. And then I also will follow up with my clients on on the petitions that I'm working on, because it's not, you know, coming back to misconceptions, a lot of people think it's just a bunch of paperwork, and you just fill it out and slap it together and send it in. But that unfortunately, that's not the case. And I we do have some clients that have tried to do the process alone, because you can do it alone, you don't need an attorney. It's not a requirement, but we'd also always recommend it because a lot of the the way you answer the form, while it seems very simple, you could answer it incorrectly. Um, those forms are made, are, are screening. It's a screening tool. And there are certain red flags depending on how you answer the questions. So that's why you want to have a, a professional help you. And there's also a lot of supporting documentation that you need to send with those forms. It's not just sending the forms alone. There's a lot of documentation that you want 
want to send uh, to, to prove your case. And it's always best to, to, to send everything the correct way and the right way the first time so that you don't get your case kicked back or you don't get a lot of what uh, USCIS will send something called a request for evidence, which is basically a letter saying, hey, you missed this and we need you know, this from you, or you didn't include this, and now you, you need to send it. So that holds up your case when that happens. So it's always a good idea to to do it the right way uh, from the beginning. Um, so yeah, we're working, working on those cases and then going to uh, attending interviews. So some of these cases, when you're going to get a green card or when you're trying to get your citizenship, it's you will have an interview at USCIS. So that is something that we will either attend by phone or, or in person. So that's another thing that I'll be doing during the day if it's scheduled for me. Thank you. I'll ask you the, the two elevator questions. The first one is you're in an elevator, you encounter someone who's skeptical about the immigration process or immigrants in general. What's your, what's your, um, you know, what's your response to that? I guess my response I would probably be similar to what Carlos said is that a lot of people, they only know what, what they hear on the media. And so of course, Every, every, you know, every channel is going to give you their take. It's biased. When you really know the stories and you really know what's going on, I think you feel very differently. And again, like you said at the very beginning of the show, you know, we're dealing with human beings. That's what immigration is about. And, you know, every case is different. Yes, there might, you know, there might be cases where maybe someone is coming in here for the wrong purposes. And, you know, that's, that's going to happen. But there are a lot of good people out there. And, you know, if they've, if they have a legal way to defend their case, they're they're entitled to do that. That would be my that would be my um, answer to that. Thank you. And we're still in the elevator. You come across somebody that might need your services. What's your pitch to them on how you can help them? My pitch to them would be I would get a, a little more information from them, and then I would give them um, my my card with our uh, law firm phone number and tell them please call us, and I'd love to have a consultation with you, so that I can get more more in depth and detail more details about your case, and I can really give you uh, some helpful, useful information so that you can you know decide what are the next steps for you. And I'm assuming that's a free consultation. How long does that last? Uh, it's not a free consultation. Oh, excuse we me. Charge, Sorry. Uh, it's okay. We do charge $150. Um, it can be done by Zoom or telephone or in person. And it usually lasts, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the case. Awesome. On, um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Adriana. That was very informative. Thank you, David. We'll switch gears to uh, Joe here, the head honcho, so to speak. Let me unmute you, Joe, or I'll ask you to unmute. There we go. There you go. All right. All right. Joe, you've got a very competent professional staff there. I'm very impressed with their um, their presentation and their knowledge. Uh, I'm extremely fortunate to have Adriana and Carlos on staff. They are professionals beyond, you know, reproach. They are top, on top of their game. They know they know what they're doing. Um, I'm just I'm just very um very fortunate to have good staff like that. And you mentioned even even though they kind of specialize in different aspects of immigration, all you're, you're all equally competent and can you know move into different areas if needed be for a client, correct? Yeah, we, we all do crossover. Uh, we like to obviously stay in our lane because the more you do of something, the uh, you know the more experience that you get in. But we, we all cross over. We all talk about our cases among each other. Um, 
like today, this morning, I had a naturalization case. A military member wants to naturalize, or the mother wants to naturalize, it would come through a green card. Uh, this afternoon, I'm going to be working on a, a change of venue case and a removal case that's in California that we have to get to San Antonio for a San Antonio judge to hear. So it's, it's quite a smorgasbord. Yeah. What's a typical day look like for you? Are you more kind of overseeing the practice or are you in the weeds doing the the technical work that uh, Adriana and Carlos are doing? What's that look like? Yeah. So so uh, they're fortunate in some ways because they get to practice law. Um I get the I get two jobs. I get both to practice law and be in the weeds, and I get to run a law firm. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's a uh, I'm down in the weeds with a lot of clients, uh, and I'm I'm also having to see that the firm runs smoothly and that our administrative staff is working. Which I have to say kudos to them too. We have a great administrative staff, uh, and the, without any of these people, we this firm this firm would not be. Um, clicking away like it is. Uh, we're very busy. We have uh, lots of lots of people calling us. Uh, so so my typical day will involve, uh, at one point, it's talking with administrative staff about how to handle certain clients who are calling in or how to get mundane things like, well, let's close this case or whatever to, like I said, today I'm going to be working on uh, a deportation removal case in California that we have to get filed with that, or tomorrow afternoon. So. Um, it's a, uh, it's a smorgasbord. You mentioned your team. Tell us a little bit about your team. How many uh, total team members do you have? Yeah. So, so obviously the, we have the three attorneys. Uh, we have a fourth attorney who's uh, also working as our case manager and he's coming along to move into the attorney uh, staff. We have a, um, we have our main intake person who has been with me since the very, very beginning. Uh, we met in a, in a immigration class back in 2017, he was he was working uh, with his church and wanted to set up a faith based immigration situation that didn't work out. So he came to work for me. Uh, we have uh, two. Uh, we have a law student who's working for us full time this summer and will be working for us part time in the fall. Uh, uh, she's a third year law student here in San Antonio. And then we have a uh, we have an intern at University of Texas San Antonio who will be attending law school in a year. Uh, and then we, of course, we have a bookkeeper who, you know, uh, works in our books and tries to keep all the numbers straight for us. So we have a total of, uh, how many is that? Three, four, five, six, seven people at this point. Are you looking to bring on interns or new attorneys? Attorneys? Are you trying to grow your team? And if so, how? Yeah, we, uh, I, I don't constantly advertise, but I do have a regular advertisement that I run. We would like to hire more lawyers if we could. And of course, if we hire more lawyers, we need more administrative staff. We are a growing firm. So if we have if there's, uh, lawyers out there that you know, want to work immigration law, uh, we, are, we are certainly hiring. Is that limited geographically or can they work from a, a different location remotely for you? Um, we prefer to have our attorneys uh, be based in San Antonio. Okay. Uh, it just makes things easier. Uh, we have had remote attorneys before. Uh, and it's, it's not that it doesn't work, but uh, a lot of our work can be done remotely uh, because like we talked about earlier in the day, uh, you know, we do handle a lot by Zoom, WebEx, uh, that type of thing. But there are times when you, know, you have to show up at USCIS. There are times that you have to go to immigration court. Uh, and if these are clients that are outside of San Antonio, we have to travel there, of course. But, you know, the focus of our business, uh, the, 
vast majority of our clients are South Texas based. And also, um, what's a um, couple of misconceptions you find yourself having to push back against? Yeah, um, well, uh, we we will have people come in and they, well, I've been here for a couple of years and everyone else is here and, you know, they get to stay and, you know, I, I'd like to be legal. Um, well, you know, if you came in the country without papers, you're a non-citizen with no documentation, just because you've been here, um, you know, it's hard for us. Oftentimes, there's no pathway. You have to have a, a person has to have a pathway uh, to be able to get either a visa, a green card, or or uh, some right to stay in the United States. Um, so that that is a pretty typical misconception that people come in here and um, think that they can just, okay, well, I'm here, uh, make, make me documented. Yeah. That, that's something that just uh, we, we fight with quite a bit. Another thing we often hear, they'll come in with some some preconceived idea. Well, my neighbor did it this way, or I know someone who did that. And, you know, they, it's, it creates a little bit of friction because when we look at their case, that doesn't work that way. Um, yeah. We don't know what the neighbor did. We don't know what the, you know, colleague did down the street, but we know that case doesn't work that way. Or I saw this on the internet. The internet's a big problem for us. Um, you know, this they do this on the internet. Well, yeah, it doesn't work. So those, those are things that we, we constantly um, hear. Yeah. I've known you for a long time, Joe, and you're one of the most kind and compassionate people I've known. Um, tell us how this is personal to you. Carlos and Adriana tell us how it's personal to them. How does this personal to you? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, when they go into law or, or uh, I, I can't speak for everybody, but attorneys, I think have this, to be a lawyer, to actually practice law, you have to want to help people. I mean, that's just uh, some part of your nature. Now, whether you go into corporate law, securities law, and you you end up in, in business and where you're helping businesses, which helps people, but, but you're you're helping people do things. Uh, that's part of being a lawyer. Um, and I've always I've always found myself drawn to government work. I've always drawn my found myself drawn to humanitarian type work. I've worked for. I've worked for the state of Kentucky. I've worked for the state of District of Columbia. I've worked for the federal government overseas and many third world countries. Um, I, I've always had this idea. Uh, I've always had a passion for helping people and doing public good. And so when I got to Texas and I saw the need for immigration, I said, boy, that, that's a good place to go. So, so it's very personal to me to be in a really a hands-on place where we have a direct relationship in helping people. And you've got approximately what forty years background in government and legal work. Is that, is that about right? Yeah, it's, it's closing in on that. Um, I've been a lawyer longer than most of our clients have been alive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's obvious. You know, when you're most productive and the best at what you do, when you're at the intersection of what you're passionate about and also what you're good at, and it's obvious you're passionate about it and good at good at it as well. What would you say to that person in the elevator that's skeptical about immigration, immigrants in general, immigration law? Yeah, I, I obviously we have this discussion a lot. And, and oftentimes it depends on where you are in the country. Um, uh, obviously, in, in South Texas, there's a lot more compassion for immigration than there is in uh, other parts of the country uh, where they really don't see immigrants all that much. And all they see is whatever news channel they watch. Um, but so so that kind of goes into it. But but essentially, uh, again, I'm very neutral with, with people. You know, I talk to them about um, 
that you know what you see on the news isn't always true. That if you if you don't like immigration, then you you don't like immigration. If you do like immigration, then that's fine. If you fall somewhere in the middle, that's fine. But if you have a particular problem to deal with uh, that involves immigration, involves Im ICE, involves Customs and Border Patrol, involves the USCIS, involves the Department of State, involves the Department of Labor, we do a lot of different agencies. If you do have a problem. Uh, and you need a lawyer, then we're the ones uh, we're the ones that can help you. Yeah, and how can how can they uh, um, find out about you? Learn more about you. What's your phone number? Your email? Your website? All that stuff. Yeah, so uh, we we have a website, which is uh, the name of our law firm is my my first initial J, and then my middle name Joseph, and the last name is Cohen J Joseph Cohen dot com. You can find us there. Um, and you can find us, uh, our phone number is 210-769-769-3273. And you can call us, that'll put you into our, into our stream of things that we do here and work you through the, the process and get you to an attorney for a consultation or for a general question. Perfect. I have three questions for you. Okay. This segment of three questions is brought to you by our nonprofit, See Good to Be Good, which aims to act as a source of hope and motivation and inspiration to help folks achieve their dreams. We are currently accepting donations of time and or money to fund our needs-based scholarship to help a young person pay for their education in the arts. If you'd like to help us, please let us know. Question number one, why are you successful? Oh, uh, that, that's a tough question. You know, you have to brag on yourself. Um, I think our number one reason that we're successful in this firm is that we care about people. Uh, we care about being on the top of our game, knowing what's going on. Uh, we're truthful with people. And sometimes people don't like to hear, you know, you don't have a case and we can't help you. They go to another law firm and they say, well, give us a few thousand dollars and we'll help you. And they really can't. Um, so I think people appreciate, as, as uh, Carlos said, I think people appreciate us just being straightforward and truthful and Sometimes you just can't, um, you can't sugarcoat things. Um, and I think that's uh, much appreciated by our clients. Why are you happy? I'm sorry? Why are you happy? Oh, I'm happy because I'm doing what I like to do, Dave. Um, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great life to be out practicing law. It's a, it's a great time to be in South Texas. Um, a lot of good things are happening here. Um, I get to, you know, I come back to Louisville quite a bit. Um, visit with uh, friends and family in Louisville. Um, and so I still have a lot of legal connections, a lot of friend connection, a lot of family connection there. So it's good there and have a chance to travel around the country some in these cases. So that's always fun. Uh, so the, these are these are things that make a fulfilling life for me. Thank you. Question number three, what obligation do you feel to help others? Oh yeah, so that's a, that's a strong obligation. Um, and, and uh, you know, so, sometimes people go, well, are you a, are you a helper? Are you, you know, I don't know if some people think that's a negative or not. But, but in, in my world, uh, we have a very strong obligation. I have a very strong obligation to help others. Uh, I've always felt that. I've always felt that betterment of, of society is, is part of the human condition. Um, and that, you know, the, uh, you know that, that if all of us would strive to, you know, do something good every day. Um, not that people don't do that. A lot of people do. There's a huge number of people that do. Most people do. Much vast majority of people do. But I think that I think we would all have a credo of you know help each other. I think we would be 
far better off. Well said. Uh, Chief, or not Chief Justice, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor once said, a surplus of effort could overcome a deficit of confidence. Hmm. I like that. If you would like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast content, please contact us for more information. I'd like to take a moment to thank myself because without me, none of this would be possible. I script and cast the show, host and produce the show, and edit and distribute the show online to our eight platforms. I know I'm a little biased, but I think I, th I think that guy's a good guy. <laughs> like David, thank I'd like to add one thing to that, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. So, so you you've talked about me a lot. Uh, I do want to put in a plug for you, since you're putting in a plug for yourself. Thank uh, you, David. David has uh, is the most successful person that I've ever met who has pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. Um, I've known Dave since he was a little kid and I know what he started with, which was like nothing. And I know he's been very successful what he does. Uh, and I greatly admire what, what David has done with his life, um, married with a family. Um, you've done very well. Dave. Thanks, Joe. I've uh, had a lot of people help me along the way and a lot of things go my way and, uh, I just got to pay it forward. Right. Right. Thanks, Joe. Uh, one more time, give us your contact information and the best way for people to interact with you. Yeah, so you can find us on our website. If you just look up Joe Cohen, San Antonio Immigration Lawyer, you know, you'll find us. Uh, we're all over Google. Uh, but the website address is uh, my first initial, which is the letter J, and then my middle name, which is Joseph, and then my last name, Cohen, jjosephcohen.com. That will get us that will get you directly to our website my email is joe or my first name joe j-o-e my first nickname at lawjjc.com so it's law office of j joseph cohen it's lawjjc.com uh, and then our telephone number again is 210-769-3273 210-769-3273 thanks joe i'd like to thank you and your wonderful team for joining us today thank you adriana Thank you, Carlos. I'd like to thank our audience for joining us today. I'd like to thank our listeners and sponsors for making this podcast possible and hopefully successful. And we'll see you real soon on a future episode of the Respect the Math podcast. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you